You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. We kicking this off? Let's do this. Let's do it. Oh, I probably should, except I don't, I don't have anything. I, I failed. Thought I was all ready to go. And now I realize. <laughs> I have to get you're like we're on a schedule hurry it up I'll start ready you can start and hopefully okay so Laura yes April (laughs) do you want to start with things I should have been trained on yes let's start there so what I should have been trained on is what to do as a senior leader when someone unexpectedly resigns okay well I like this topic because I have unexpectedly resigned. What? In my oh, life. And <laughs> not not again now. Like holy shit. No. No, in my life. But okay. And, and now that I'm like, I know, have to, I have to, and a blaze of glory too, nonetheless. Oh, really? I've never really, oh, I did. I did, a blaze, I did a blaze of glory once. But did you like pull a Bridget Jones? He was like, pretty close. Yeah. He was pretty close. It's not that it was the same scenario. Reason, right. But we could put it in that tier of blazing out. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So, so, and now that you're on the other side yeah. and I am too, where we have to be we would have to (laughs) we have to prepare for people to unexpectedly quit yes now we're on the other side yes so i'm prepared only in that i have spoken it out loud to the guy i work for that you have a staff and you think that everything is great but you never know somebody could quit tomorrow and they could give you two or more weeks, or they could literally say, I'm not coming back. Well, tomorrow. And it doesn't have to be that they're blaze of glory pissed off. No, it doesn't. It could, they, just, they gotta, it could be somebody passing away, family emergency, their dream job, double the salary. Who knows? Uh, uh, you know, I mean, they only have to work two days a week, whatever it is. We it have three employees anything. in the Ukraine right now. And it's like, holy right. Like, so yeah, so you so, never know. I mean, crazy happens in the world. Yes. Like, I mean, case in point, not to you know go dark there, but like anything can happen. <laughs> say what? Say what? Say what? Anything. Can right. Happen. What's the question? How do you prepare for it? What do you do as yeah. a senior leader when someone unexpectedly quits? So or resigns? So I think there's a few things. You first need to find out what everyone knows, because sometimes they've already told all of the junior staff, and everyone's mm-hmm. in on it. And so then you have to do a little bit of backtracking to make sure that any damage that they've done through blaze of glory quitting, if that happens to you, mm-hmm. is triage. You mean to see if they poisoned the well among the other junior staff members? Yeah. You also need to find out if they've told clients or what they've told clients. So you would mm-hmm. have to immediately shut down their email and check their email and figure that out. Mm-hmm. You also need to as soon as possible, come up with the plan of how you're replacing them across all of the accounts Mm -hmm. so that if they did communicate with the clients, 
then you have a solution in place that you can present. You can't wait on that for a week. So the scenario you're painting is really somebody who like, is like, I quit. There's other people who are like, hey, sorry, but I'm taking another job or I have to go take care of yeah, my no, mother. I'm going for worst case scenario, yeah. like crisis scenario. Okay. But we should also address not crisis. <laughs> right. Okay. So we're talking about crisis. I just scenario. got on that because of, I mean, I started there because of the Bridget Jones and I just, my head went there, but we should also right. do normal resignation. <laughs> Although I think the steps are the same. They're just not done as expediently. Right. So, but, but actually the question is how do you prepare? Oh no, it's not. What to do when somebody resigns? So you right. Can't really prepare for no, that. Unless, unless, really. unless you have a sense. And I've had that happen too, where you see people are getting less and less involved in their job and they're starting right. to space out and they're not really committed anymore. So and that you, you just you, feel it like you just intuitively know they're looking. So you sort of start moving staffing pieces around yeah. so that when it happens, uh, you just have to do a little it's tweaking. Flawless. It's like, okay, cool. I saw that coming. That's yeah. why I took her off of these three accounts. Yeah. Or why or I put why I these added people. someone right. else so that it would be no right. big deal if she disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I've, I've done that too. So, cause you can kind of read the tea leaves if you're, you know, if you're in touch, like, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, that's like, what I'm saying. If you're as in touch as you can be as a leader, there won't be too many like shocking moments. Cause you know, like they always say you should be managing yeah. people and checking in with them all the time. Be that as it may, it will still happen. But what if, so yeah. what if somebody who is beloved unexpectedly resigns, but you know, in a non-blazing glory right in a, in a professional in a way <laughs> yes and says hi sorry april i have to quit because of you know, of, you know two weeks or of decent reasons or right yeah i mean i think that it so then it so then it changes a bit in terms of how you tell the team together and respond to them and have a going away party for that you know all of those kinds of things right, right. so i think the only the only big change there is that the timeline slows down it's more cooperative. You can work with that person. You, you can do transition meetings. You can do transition documents. You don't have to go through like, their emails. and uh, You don't have to like do or triage. Right. You yeah. can actually have them assist you in bringing the new team members. But what out. if like the clients just love this person? If you have a good relationship as the president, founder, whatever, whatever, or a super senior person, you may have to be more hands-on for a bit. How they're, many? They're never upset if like a more senior person is suddenly right, leading the right. account. Instead, what you can't do is just shove junior person from the account front and center if that person doesn't have a strong isn't really relationship ready. and isn't really ready. Right. So then you need to bring in new senior person mm -hmm. that knows how to quickly endear themselves to a new mm -hmm. client and show that they're up to speed and all that. So I recently unexpectedly told them I was leaving a job and they didn't have a going away party though. <laughs> I mean, I think it's in good taste. I wasn't, I wasn't there that long. If you're, if you're, if you're in person, right. I mean, it's a little weird. And right. And I wasn't in person. I mean, I'd met people like two or three times in person, but we didn't work in person. Yeah. So in that case, it is a bit weird. How do you yeah. think like a virtual going away party? Yeah. No, I, it's okay. I don't need a party for a company, you know, in that no, but the story that I have where I left like um, Harry Truman from a job that I had had for almost 12 years. I like, I, I tell you where they like the HR person walked, 
walked down the stairs with me and carried one of my boxes and like my friend picked me up in the back door and I left and like nobody and I I'd never met this woman in my life I'd been there for almost 12 years and that was it I see nobody that I knew nobody helped me the guy who was supposed to come with the little like cart so, so I could wheel stuff down didn't show up it was so bad oh and I didn't like I wasn't leaving under like because like I you know screwed something up or whatever it was yeah it was crazy so yeah so I did leave unexpectedly and all of the things that you said I told my manager and I didn't tell anybody else I didn't tell anybody on the team or any clients until that's I, the I, right way to do it so that For she could listening, like don't yeah. like, just don't blaze the glory people <laughs> so that she could figure out what to do and then she told some clients and some but she told me to tell my team so I did personally. And then she yeah. told me I could tell like one or two clients that I was leaving and we just, which was true. I just had a great offer and I couldn't, I couldn't pass it up. So that was it. And then, you know, she had great people working there already and they just sort of rejiggered it and they went on. Nice. And I, I still mean, talk to her, you know, it was, it that's was great. I mean, just, that's it was just normal real life stuff. It wasn't. Right. Yeah. So so you can quit a job the right way and you can let's, you know, help somebody leave the right way. And that was it. Do you want to move on to the horror story? Sure. Do you want me to read it? I have it open. Okay, go on. Okay. Girl. <laughs> the first sentence. Whoa, baby. Let me take you on a journey. A nightmare. A haunting reality, that is. In fact, my life this week. I am working with a new client in the food and beverage space. We were ramping up our PR campaign and the client contact, a marketing manager, sends us an old article the founder had drafted for a major trade publication where he is a new regular contributor. We are supposed to edit the debut article. Easy enough. The draft was sitting at 3,000 words. What the max workout for this publication was 1,500 words. So... We reviewed the article and cut it down to 1,500, and then we sent it back to the client for approval. Silence. Multiple follow-ups. More silence. Finally, the founder takes a look at our revisions. He is not pleased. They never are. We had cut so much of the content, he was very angry, and so he adds a couple of sections back in. Now we're back up to 1,900 words. We try to scale it back some more, but we aren't comfortable making any major omissions. It didn't go so great the last time. And we even offered to place the article elsewhere, but no bueno. We then asked the client if we can hop on a call with the founder who wrote the article to chat through some ways to shorten the piece. We heard nothing for three days. Then on the third day, my inbox lights up. The founder has sent us a Xeroxed copy of the article, manually printed out and marked up in a red pen, all in 1955. Oh my God. He has handwritten multiple new sections, including one, <laughs> one very personal story, and made some revisions that were totally illegible due to the quality of the copies. The worst part? The enormous food stains all over the pages. Barf! Maybe he was trying oh to send God. us a free sample. Ew. Tomorrow, I'll have to address these uh, revisions with the client contact in our weekly Monday Zoom sesh. What would you do if you were me? 
because I have still not figured this one out. That's gross. <laughs> and gross. I always, even back in the day when like, which wasn't so long ago, when you would get like handwritten edits on stuff, why do executives, senior people, whatever, have the handwriting of like a doctor, i.e. completely illegible? Yeah. So you're like, you know, there's like a, a squiggly with a long line and what like, and then you're just making it that much harder. And then, so what you get back is probably not right. And then you're annoyed again, but you're the reason why it's not right. So that I don't, I have no time for that. And also there's something called Google Docs. You can literally edit the document and other I mean, people can at the same time. Microsoft Word and So that is a nightmare. And then the thing, it's interesting. Did they, do you feel like from what that letter was that they communicated clearly enough to the client about the word limitation and why that to me may have been a little bit not explained maybe enough. Maybe it it wasn't understood by the client. Right. Like just saying like, Hey, this article is supposed to be 1500 words. I don't know that that necessarily to somebody who doesn't know doesn't do it for a living, communicates like, oh, you literally cannot go over 1,500 words. Mm-hmm. And by adding four or 500 words, it's, the submission's not going to be accepted. Or let's say it is accepted, then the publication's going to cut half your story or whatever, a quarter of your story anyway. So you are the one who wants to do that so that it, it you know, reads the right way. That's what I feel like maybe it wasn't explained explicitly enough but I don't know I'm just sort of reading into it possibly yeah I mean gosh what a what a weird scenario I'm a little bit speechless I mean it's definitely it's definitely a first so I see why they wrote in I went back and forth not that long ago on uh an op-ed four or five times and the word count thing wasn't the issue, but the amount of time. So this is some, the amount of time that was spent on it. Forget about the initial writing of it. Just the editing was like six to eight hours, which is, as you know, a huge amount of time for one document to be edited. Okay. A document of 800 words. That's, inc- that's incredible. I mean, because it went back and forth. At least three times to the client. I wonder if this is um, a product of insecurity on on the part of the client. Yeah. Because I know I've had clients before who write something and then you assist with it and then they're angry about the part that they wrote. Has this happened to you? No, but that's an interesting one. And so in that scenario, what makes me it makes me realize that what's really going on is that they're not confident in themselves and anything that you're reflecting back to them. They'll take out on you. It's self-hatred really is what it is. It's like self-criticism. You're the mirror, right? You're the the one holding it back up to them. looking at the man. Yeah, I um, agree. But is that... I'm asking him to change his way. I sing that song to my cat i'm looking at the cat in the mirror do you anyway. really oh yeah all the time wait why is she looking at 
herself. Just because I, I, any song I can change into like a song about cats, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm asking her to pet her fur or something, clean her fur. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to get beyond the the big line in a song. I see. Anyway, going back to the... You don't have that part done with the cat lyrics? No, yeah, no, I didn't get that deep into it. It's hard. Okay. Not every song. Report back to me. I want to hear the full cat song of that. Oh, wait, speaking of which, can you see that my my glass has all different cats on it? look at that. Did I tell you I have a third cat now? No way. So should I tell you the cat story later? Should I like- yeah, tell me the cat story okay. later. But wait, let's finish this let's up. Finish this yeah. And we'll so come what? Back to the cat so story. did we? So what's? Did we get to the heart of the matter of the person who wrote the letter, though? So the question is like, what to do on the Zoom call with the client contact? I mean, I would start by, to your point, Laura, reiterating, hey, listen, they're not going to take it unless it's fifteen hundred words or less. We need to be the ones to make the edit or either that or they aren't even going to accept it so mm-hmm. help us decide what's most important to you for this piece and and or what's the nucleus of another piece so let's go through it together and sort of pick out what are the things that you think are central to this theme and what are you thinking you know is um something that could be our, the next article Right, because maybe a lot of times there's right. like a nugget in there. There's like two or three articles in one story. Yes, be its own thing, right? Right. So if this if this is really important to you too, we could try to do a different article next month on that while we're focusing this article on this. And you know, your stories can be personal and should be things that people can grasp onto, but yeah. they shouldn't be this personal. For whatever reason. Yeah. And the reason why it has, it can only be 1500 words is because that is the limitation that the publication sets and we don't have any control over that. Yeah. So yeah, I would say hop on the call and just find out what's most important to them, what's central to the, this theme, and then explain to them that it has, you know, we have to find a place to cut. So doesn't mean it's not great material. It doesn't mean it can't be used somewhere else, but what is the number one candidate that either is not central to this piece or can be its own can stand alone yeah i think that's my best advice on that um okay should i let steven yes but you're gonna have to announce him cat in the mirror (laughs) hey steve how are you how are you both good good how are you steve i'm wonderful thank you So our guest today is Steve Markman. He's the founder and president of Markman Speaker Management, LLC. He has more than 30 years of experience in the conference and speaker field. And since founding his company in 1994, he's secured speaking engagements for over 200 firms and has worked with clients in an array of industries from startups to the Fortune 500, including IBM Global Services, PayPal, Subaru, and Bank of America. It's a very impressive resume. Very glad to have you with us today, Steve. Thanks, April. Glad to be here. So I am super excited to talk to you about how speaking engagements have shifted in this pandemic, almost endemic world and where you see things going. Because I know it's been a wild ride for a lot of people with the speaking engagement side of things. (laughs) 
Yeah, sure. It's gone sort of like in waves. It's sort of mirroring what has happened with the pandemic. So at first, you know, we had the spring of 2020 when it hit and the, the world as we knew it stopped, including the conference world. And the conference world has lagged behind, in many cases, sort of other parts of the world and the economy. And so things shifted gradually to be a hybrid uh, where events were, were held both in person and virtual. And I've written some articles about this where I've mentioned that um, I actually think speaking opportunities were more prevalent in 2020 and last year. Uh, because of so many virtual events and organizations, whether they were associations or conference companies, uh, needed to reach out to their customers, their constituents in, in a way that they hadn't before. And so they needed to do that more frequently since people weren't going in person and therefore it opened up opportunities for corporate executives to speak or consultants or what have you. And things were going along great until the fall and and then uh, you know Delta hit and followed by Omicron and then things went back to virtual again almost exclusively for a while. So here we are in uh, heading into the spring of 2022 and vir- oh I shouldn't say virtually it's got a double meaning now but <laughs> all conferences and events that use speakers are scheduled at least to be held in person. That may be virtually. Uh, online, and in some cases, not at all. Uh, So it really depends on the industry and the event. uh, But I think think we are, at least uh, with safety measures in place, approaching mostly in person for the spring and the rest of the year. And hopefully that it'll stay that way. But organizations have learned a lot during this uh, time period. And so they are ready to pivot back Mm -hmm. to virtual or hybrid if the need be. That's really interesting. How has it changed also in terms of the virtual speaking engagements and, and people needing to prepare differently? What, how do you yeah. coach, coach clients through that? Right, right. It's, it, it has, for some people, been uh, kind of seamless. But for most people, it's been a learning experience. You know, I'm, I'm talking to you now and I'm, I'm, you know, with all due respect, I'm staring at a dot you know, the, the light above your head, uh, whereas I'd rather be looking at you who's talking to me. But if I put my head down, then it looks like I'm falling asleep. So um, it's a whole new set of guidelines and parameters and doing things differently, uh, speaking virtually, when you don't have a live audience. Um, some people do it better than others. So it, there's definitely some room for improvement, I think, in, in, in most people when they have to do that. So it, that has really mm-hmm. affected the uh, organizer's criteria because now they're asking, do you have experience speaking virtually if a part of it is virtual? So they're confident that that is uh, as good as when they were in the front of a ballroom. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Steve, I have to say that you were very effective speaking virtually. So Thank you. you practice what you preach. Thank you, Laura. He is, yes. No, and I, and I know even TEDx talks now are going virtual, and so, but they're all yeah. produced, right? It's so right. It's, a, it's a production rather than that you're on Zoom. But you have to go to a studio and produce your own piece of it, and right, and then present the ten minute whatever you know produced segment. I apologize about the cat. I I was just about to tell Laura before you got on. I just rescued this cat. 
and he is so attached to me and he will not leave me alone. <laughs> and so <laughs> I should have put him in a bedroom and like locked him away, but I didn't. So he just not not, not a problem. I you know jumps I up. I do a lot of speaking about how to get speaking engagements. And so I've done a lot of Zoom presentations over the last couple of years. And I probably have seen more dogs and cats and a few birds than I thought <laughs> were possible. But if if somebody has a zebra walking in back of them, I'm going to write an article about That's that. That's what I was going to say. What's the most <laughs> unique animal that you've seen? Like yeah, did a, uh, a snake slide through or? Yeah, no, it's it's mostly domesticated animals. <laughs> With April, you might get a llama or a goat or something. So there you go. Usually not in the house unless they came in the dog door, but I try not to let that happen. Now that I'm curious, because I'm taking us way off topic, but are the birds sitting on people's shoulders or are they just like in the background? I had one that was on somebody's shoulder and the, the rest, I, the others, I just sort of heard chirping. <laughs> I really want to have a Zoom call now with someone that has a bird on their shoulder. That would make my day. <laughs> I derailed us a little bit. I was going to ask you another question now. I've forgotten what it was. Laura, do you have a question while I'm well, thinking about so, my question was? I'm so sorry. explain to us a little bit. How do you, what kinds of clients do you work with? How do you get right. them? Is it PR clients? Is it marketing? Is it, what is the sure. it's It's both. Most of my business comes from being brought in by the head of uh, public relations or a marketing director of a company, usually midsize all the way up to and including uh, Fortune 500 firms. And the whole idea is to meet one of the, their objectives, usually to boost visibility in some way or create visibility. It's also lead generation and business development and also to demonstrate thought leadership. Sometimes it's all of those, what I call a three-legged stool. Other times it's just one piece of that. And probably a third of my clients are agencies and firms like yours, because oftentimes you'll have a client that prioritizes speaking, a company that wants to get out there, whether they're a software company or financial services, services, what have you, and I handle all, uh, all industries, all sizes of companies, then uh, if you're not able to meet the needs of the client for whatever reason, it might just be a busy time of year, or uh, a PR firm may not have that uh, capability, quite frankly, or they don't focus on it. And so they don't have staff that has a lot of experience with that. And so they partner with me. I used to say outsource, but it's not really because it's more like a partnership because the PR firm retains the relationship. And they keep the client. I build a PR firm. They build a client back. So they they maintain that relationship, and it, it's a very synergistic. It works really well. And even if it's the company bringing me in, I work closely with the PR firm because um, obviously you guys are great at getting media placement right. and other earned in, uh, earned placements. And so one can help the the other. Uh, you so you're just trying to get. Yeah them speaking opportunities at like a uh, trade association type. Yes. And associations yeah. and also companies that are in the business of putting on conferences, whether right. they're regional or national or even international, depending on what, where their target audience is. And is it earned or paid or both? Becoming, unfortunately, increasingly sponsor. Um, it, it was mostly all earned, but it depends on the kind of company it is. So if I'm working with the VP of HR of IBM Global Services, as, I've, as I have, um, that's going to be 100% earned. That's not going to be pay to play because that person is speaking in front of 
HR executives and other audiences that she's talking about the programs that she institutes in her company. But if it's a consulting firm or a law firm, I've worked with some of the largest law firms in the world, then they have something to quote unquote sell. And so they tend to, if it's a national conference, want some kind of sponsorship, i.e. pay to play. However, once you go below the national level, there are dozens and dozens of speaking opportunities that don't require sponsorship. And even for solution providers or vendors, whether they're software company or a consulting firm, they don't generally have to pay if it's a regional conference or if it's, let's say, the Phoenix chapter of the American Marketing Association. They typically don't ask for any kind of pay to play because they're happy to get new speakers come in that they aren't aware of and aren't necessarily in their geographic area, but my client is willing to to do that, get on a plane and speak to 50 people at a lunch meeting. Right. And how about if if the conference organizers are willing to have your client speak for free, but only if they bring a company client as a case study? Have you had that? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So when it's not pay-to-play, or even when it is pay-to-play, sometimes they'll waive the pay-to-play idea, the sponsorship requirement, if the client can bring a case study, an enterprise speaker with them, their perception, and I believe it is only a perception, it's not reality, that a sales pitch is going to be made. So I spent 15 years before I got into the speaker side on the conference and content side. I headed up the conference divisions of Comdex and the conference board in New York. And and so Mm -hmm. most of the speakers were enterprise speakers. But if we had somebody from, let's say, uh, I won't name any names, but let's say a a top three uh, beverage manufacturer, right? Um, The first thing they're going to do is put up a slide about the 32 bottling plants they have, and they're in 118 countries. Okay, that's kind of a sales pitch, but Mm -hmm. conference organizers don't see it that way. They, They see a consultant who may be giving a lot of really good information and doing you know, uh, a broad stroke of what is happening in the industry and trends, they see that person as doing a sales pitch, which it really isn't. And I counsel all my clients, you know, don't, don't do that because they don't want to you know, hear from me or the conference director afterwards that it was a sales pitch. They won't be invited back again. That's my right. biggest. It's never right, a sales right. pitch. What do you do when a client, I, this has happened to me before, they're goal is essentially to become that enterprise speaker that gets paid to speak. So they want to be the next Brene Brown. They want to be the next whoever, right? They want to be Robbins. that. Yeah. And they want to be, how do you get them from somebody? I don't want to say nobody, but how do you get them from where they're not going to be paid for anything to being a paid speaker? Right. Good question. So no, it, it really depends on their chops, right? What have they done in their career? Um, more than speaking experience. And if they've gotten, have they written a book? You know, to be a paid speaker, you have to have a, uh, have written a book, uh, usually multiple books, or at least a best-selling book. And so it's really a matter of what I do in that case. And I've had clients like that, as you have. Um, you basically try to get them in front of the right audience so that, if there are people in the audience that are buyers or influencers of paid speakers, i.e. they're a big enough company to pay somebody to come in to have them do a keynote for an internal meeting, 
then you're on the right track. So that's what I try to do. I try to get them, you know, to speak at the higher level, uh, special kinds of conferences like the Milken Institute, Fortune or, or Forbes conferences where, you know, C-level people will be attending or very senior people at major corporations and they're like more likely to bring somebody in for a paid speaking engagement. Right. That makes a lot of sense. April, I got a client of mine when I was totally freelancing paid speaking opportunities with schools and some nonprofit organizations. Now, this was oh, not interesting. This was not big ticket money, but it was some money and it was because he was a filmmaker who was also a character actor on TV. Okay. So it was like a little celebrity, you know, right. and uh, in Long Island. And so like all these, they were, they were happy to pay him what, you know, a small stipend for his, his efforts, basically, you know, for travel and bringing his stuff with a little leftover. So, yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, it's really, that's a good point, Laura. That basically what it is, is the more of a niche you have, it may seem that it's harder, but there's so many, conferences out there. I mean, there are, here's a number for you. There are 37,000 associations in the United States alone. That's a lot. Wow. Even know what it is worldwide. And, and what people don't realize is that 95%, I haven't done an exact study of this, but my guess is 95% have been doing this for over 30 years. And I would say the vast majority of speaking engagements in, in totality are unpaid. That's because the only people who pay speakers for the most part, unless you're doing a long workshop and you, you know, you know, hands-on stuff, you get paid for that. But most speaking engagements can't be paid unless it's a keynoter. And that's because the conference or the association would quickly lose ver a whole lot of money. If they have a conference with 30 or 40 speakers and they had to pay everybody, they'd be in the red real quick. People don't realize that. And they, they wake up one morning and go, I want to be a paid speaker. So I get four calls a month from those people. You know, with all due respect, it's a uphill climb. You have to have certain experience in your background. It's a whole different field of paid versus the un unpaid, but whether they're a, a consulting firm, a law firm, or cor corporation, they are realizing that what they're speaking for, besides thought leadership, is what I call future income, right? So a customer or a client or some you know, major seven-figure assignment to come in and do something for somebody who heard them uh, and they get hired by someone in the audience, mm -hmm. they're going to get paid. It's just not getting a check for the actual speaking. Right. Well, that's, isn't that what you know, PR and marketing is ultimately about, right? Exactly. Exactly. I have one last question for Steve, and then I'll, and then I'll ask the famous question. How has speaking engagements, booking them and as the speaker, how has it changed in the 30 years that you've been doing this? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that was really, a good question. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a layup. Really, it hasn't really changed. I forget who has been given credit for the, being the first speaker. It started out in academia, right? So they were like these boring professors that were talking, and then it shifted over to the public marketplace. But it really hasn't changed very much at all. The, the only thing that's changed on the paid side, I shouldn't say only, <laughs> because the answer is the enormous increases in what companies are willing to pay people. That's why I get those four calls, you know, a week that someone wants to be a paid speaker because right. that they've gone through the roof and right. 
as someone who's spent almost 35 years in this industry, I personally think it's uh, it's gotten out of hand. You know, it's 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 kind of ridiculous uh, because um, you have to bring in a lot of people to get to pay for somebody that's getting a hundred thousand dollars to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like good work if you can get it right. I think it's great, more power to them. But it's gotten to be you know out of the reach of a lot of people, and then sometimes the speaker gets to their head and they go, "Oh no, I'm not speaking for less than X." And okay, but you probably consider that. So I think that the mindset of the paid speaker has changed a little bit for what I think is a, a negative for them and they're shortchanging themselves. Mm-hmm. On the non-paid side, it's the sponsorship that has sometimes uh, right, right. required that's changed. But from a delivery standpoint and everything else, it's still, I think, a great way for people to get visibility. What's the most that you've heard of somebody getting paid for one speaking engagement? Well, no, nobody, unfortunately, that I have, because I'd love to have 25% of that, but it has been said both of the Clintons, Obama uh, and the Clintons, President yeah. and First Lady, have gotten upwards of a quarter of a million dollars to speak for certain private companies. And you get twenty five percent. Is that your? Uh... Yeah, that's the that's pretty much the going percent commission rate for most speakers. Girls. I got to go call my client from three years ago and tell him he owes me money. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so All right, the final question, April. Yes. Is there anything that you want to ask us? Well, sure. What are you finding running a PR firm has been the interest in speaking as a way to get PR? Are you finding more people interested, less people? Depends on the company. Just curious. I feel like in general, it's slightly less. People, when I present it as a, when I'm going through, you know, all the things that we can do for them, as part of the new business process. A lot of times they're, they say they're not that interested in that. I don't know if it's, the nature of the kinds of clients we're working with right now, because we've got a lot of startups that are strapped, right? They're very, very busy. The founder doesn't have any time. Their main concern about PR is how much time do I have to commit to it? So probably the idea of, you know, traveling somewhere and doing a speaking engagement is not high on the list of priorities and doing a byline article for them is a lot less time intensive, a lot less high pressure and, maybe right. in their head serves the same purpose. So, I mean, I it, I still think it's very valuable, but I think the pandemic has also kind of put that in the I don't know category because it could change real quick. I think mm-hmm. things are starting to open back up. Right. But no, absolutely. Couple, I would say for the last couple of years, I brought it up and I would say almost everybody says, yeah, maybe, but they're yeah. just not, it's not, not now. priority. I think yeah. you're right. I, I've had, you know, spoken to a number of companies over the last couple of years as well that also reflect what you're saying because either they only want to speak in person because they don't like the zoom or they're afraid to go in person so now that that you know hopefully with things getting better and safer and all these in-person conferences are requiring vaccinations and masks and the like as well as the fact that if you don't want to spend a lot of time a lot of these are still virtual they're still hybrids so someone could really only you know spend an hour like i'm doing with you this evening and not spend, you know, a nickel or, you know, a lot of time. So there's two ways to look at it. And I think sometimes what I've needed to be is more flexible and say, well, where do you want to speak, right? Do you want to speak virtually? Do you want to speak in person? Do you want both? And I'll focus for now on whatever they want, and then we can shift as we go go along. But I think speaking even on Zooms has a a lot of benefits, which I think a lot of people don't, don't realize. They may feel uncomfortable doing it because 
they're looking at the blue dot or white dot, but it's still exposure. And as you know, you get a lot of mileage out of it because then, you know, people from your agency can write a press release about somebody speaking and there's a lot of shelf yep. life. Yeah, agreed. Perfect. Well, anything else that you want to plug, Steve? You want to tell people how to reach you or how to work with you? Sure, that'd be great. So one last service that I have that I offer to both companies and PR firms is a half-day, four-hour customized virtual service where I actually teach them how to get speaking engagements and all the tactics, techniques, and strategies of how to do it for themselves so that if they don't have a budget to hire me for a year or a year and a half, they can learn how to do it themselves. So that's, you know, totally customized and something that, that I started offering about three years ago and it's working out really well. And so if anybody wants information about that or my executive visibility speaking service or anything else that I discussed today, they can uh, reach me on my website. Uh, again, my company name is Markman Speaker Management and my website is www.markmanspeaker.com. And um, I was... Delighted to be here. And I thank you for the opportunity to, to share my wisdom or lack thereof, whatever. But hopefully, <laughs> I would hopefully say people enjoy no, it. No, no, yeah. it's been very, very helpful and very insightful. I appreciate the time. My pleasure. Take care. Bye for now. Bye. Laura, did you see the new cat doing with Superman and eating my hair? It's and like, <laughs> did you see him? <laughs> he's still right here can you see his little face yes i see his little head hanging off where did you get him he showed up on my land oh he just showed up he showed up he heard once he got inside you could tell he'd never been inside and he acted like he got like promoted to a palace right like oh he was just god. running around looking at everything and just like in love with me and like look like this right oh my god like from the beginning he follows me everywhere like a dog he's obsessed with me i mean you can see you did you see him grab my face with both paws and give me a kiss oh no i didn't i didn't i missed yeah. the kiss part look at that he's like a little man i know oh <laughs> my god that's so great okay so we can move on <laughs> i'm looking at the cat in front of the mirror yeah so what's the next one okay so yeah pr news of the week so pr news of the week can pr pros get their jobs done in a four-day work week I guess it's become more and more popular to try to do a four-day work week to hold on to top talent. This is like the new perk because I guess remote isn't really a perk anymore. It's like a necessity. What do you think about this, Laura? It's hilarious to me, especially if you own a PR firm, because to me, I feel like agency owners and leaders are trying to figure out how not to have a six-day work week. <laughs> Never mind, have a four-day work week. So like if we could just get to like a normal five day work week, it would be like a huge, you know, advance. So is there really a way financially and client service wise, if you own a PR agency to get to a four day work week? And I mean, I sure you could try anything in this world, but like, is it really feasible? I think the best you can do realistically is a four day Zoom week. And a Zoomless Friday, like a meeting-free Friday. Okay, so to just do... Like, you could just tell clients, hey, we don't do meetings on Friday. Or if we do, it's phone only. This is like our new perk. But I feel like 
I mean, there are some clients that don't take kindly to not being responded to on the weekends, which we try to train them to, you know, to not do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I've brought this up before. Like we had one client when we had, we took the week off between, we always take the week off between Christmas and New Year's as one of our benefits at Trust Mm -hmm. Relations. And we had one client that started in December and wanted to know if they got money back for that week. So my concern as an owner would be, you know, because I had to then explain, no, we just front loaded because we can't pitch media between Christmas and New Year's anyway. Meaning we did all of your work the first three weeks. We worked a hella. We worked extra the first three right. weeks to get you off the ground and then took that. Wow. Week but, I so can't believe the, that. So as an owner, I, I cringe at this and think how many people would I have to explain to that the retainer is still. 10 a month, even if we're doing four day work, work weeks, because I think they would push back if they weren't yeah. getting service on one day and want, okay, let's, so if you, if you, the way you prorate is by business days and you're only four business days, then we should only have to pay you for X. Right. So we should get a 20% refund, right? We'll pay you 8,000, not 10,000 or whatever. Because you're only working those amount of days. Right. Totally. So I never that even would, thought about that. I, I think you're right. That, that that's one of the biggest would, issues. Somebody would, I would have that conversation over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. So I do have the story open now. And so the other thing, so it seems like the person who wrote this actual article that I had found, her name is Ashley Willis. It sounds to me like she thinks that it's possible and then it's a good idea because they're talking about, you know, productivity going up in uh, like Japan, where there's a 40% boost in productivity following shortened work week trial, mm-hmm. et cetera. But this is, I think, businesses overall, not PR firms. It's a different thing, like you said. I mean, if clients went to this model, that's one right, thing. right. Right. So that so right. So it would no happen problem. with it would have to happen with clients first. For sure. And then you could lead that way. Yeah. But, but she not just out of the blue, not like, hey, we're only we only work four days a week, just so you know. I mean, if I had to explain that as part of the onboarding or the new business process, yeah. I would Good lose luck to every you. account. Right. There's a couple of points that, that she points out. One is that no PR firm can simply close up shop one day a week every week. So rotation is necessary to meet client and journalist needs. So realizing that work does not stop on Fridays, her firm has put a model in where there's a rotation. Yeah. So it's in place for each shortened work week, enabling team members to enjoy every other Friday off to make sure clients are covered and that no deadlines get missed. So it's like half the team works this Friday and then the other half of the team works the other Friday. I mean, that to me sounds like a logistical nightmare because you'd have yeah. to figure out which team members across all of the accounts actually could be rotated, right? Because a lot of times it's like, okay, it works for this account, but on this account, it would mean that both people are out. And what about when it's for a holiday? And then does that mean that that person gets the next week and then it all bumps? And what if somebody's on vacation and it's not their off week, then, you know, how does that? So I agree with you. The logistics sound cuckoo. I like the idea of giving every, every employee, you know, one Friday off or something. That's a cool idea, but it's still back to the. Well, one Friday off, what, a month? 
yeah, but then. But you, but you still have to work at least 40 sick. hours in the four days that you, right? You don't get to not work. You just have to work more hours other days, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess, because otherwise you still have all that stuff that you have to get done. I mean, it's like right. going on vacation. Like, my the worst part about going on vacation for me is that I have to get... Before and after vacation? Yeah, I have to finish two weeks of stuff in one work week if I'm gone for a week. And then when I get back, I have to do two weeks of work and one, one week to pay for it. So is it really better like life worth balance? Like I don't know. Right. And and also what you're saying is that ultimately clients pay by the hour, even if it's retainer or whatever. So you can't just work fewer hours and charge the same. However, you have going to back to them in a more condensed amount of time. Right. But going back to our friend Ashley's article, she says that they polled the agency she works for at the start of the year to see how this four day work week was impacting their teams. And they got overwhelming positive feedback, surprise. More than 82% of the employees said that the added Friday off positively impacted their work and productivity. And so the last thing is fostering a culture that promotes mental well being. So saying that this Friday is not like the be all end all. Another place to start is to remind everybody to use their, I love PTO. I, I, I literally had never heard PTO until last year. Really? We used to call, we used to call it vacation days, but oh God, that's so I was funny. born in 1910, Paid apparently. Right. I know what it stands for. I just never, now it's everywhere. Or when they need a mental health day so that they don't get into the routine of not doing appointments or other things that they just need to do. You know, some days you just need like to do other things and you need a whole day that you can't accomplish on a Sunday or whatever. So she's saying that this shortened work week should not deter people from taking the time off that they're granted, whatever it is, three weeks, whatever you give. I don't know. I'm old school, I guess. Cause I agree with you that it's about clients paying. It's about the logistics and I understand the great resignation is maybe now the great reshuffling or whatever, but people are leaving because they can get better jobs with more money, et cetera. But those things don't last forever. And I feel like a lot of these perks, aside from getting paid an exorbitant amount of money, which is anybody's right to try and do, is people are trying to get perks for jobs to work where they don't have to work. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to work at this place and get paid an amazing salary and get a ton of time off and only have to work Friday every other week. And so like, how many days are you actually working for this probably giant salary these days? Well, I'm also wondering, like, if you actually took that Friday off and it was on rotation, the other challenge then becomes, what if you have meetings that need to be done? So then you make a scheduling nightmare for everybody else. Because you're not going to be in on every other Friday. Every other Friday. And then then the other half of your team isn't going to be in on the other Fridays. So it's it's basically no no meetings on Fridays, right? No bi-weeklies, which I think is cool. Like I like the no Zoom Fridays. I think I might actually propose that. Okay. I think that's a fun idea. I feel feel like that that would work for us. I don't think. Right. You have to be working. You just don't have to be doing Zoom meetings all day long. I like no Zoom meetings on Fridays. Like everyone's off camera. So that's your compromise. 
this article she's saying that everybody loved it yada 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 i also just have to put in here for you know the reality check this is a great pr play for fish tank pr that's what it's called fish tank pr and i just looked at the bottom and i think i mean i in full disclosure have thought before about whether we could do an innovative kind of benefit that would for hiring purposes for pr purposes oh for pr purposes like could we pay everyone in crypto and then write a press release about it and get a story in the trades that make us look like a great place to work because yep. we offer to pay people in crypto even though nobody wants that like we've de- <laughs> like we've we've brainstormed things like this so i'm like yep. i think they're pretty smart like i yep. think it's, i as a cynic have to say i think this is a pr move yeah less than a business move and i think they're having trouble hiring people and they probably did this to try to promote themselves and then get some press and then get some employees which is smart i got punked but i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure we got punked i think we just fell right into their beautiful pr trap their trap it's a trap i'm pretty sure yeah i think that's what just happened all right well i dig it thank you that was a great but i do want to as a result do (laughs) seamless fridays for everybody or for only half the people no, everybody, everybody. Less, way less confusing. I love Zooms. It gives me a chance to, you know, do my improv and my stand-up comedy in front of his body. True. So I think that's a wrap on that. Let's talk about something else. Before we sign off, we'd like to introduce a new segment called Sponsor Us. And here, <laughs> with Laura's jazz hands, we will tell you about the latest and greatest products that are rocking our worlds. Uh, some are PR related, some are just for fun. So this week we are raving about Fireflies. Fireflies is a service that I use that essentially sends a little AI bot to all of my meetings that's connected to my calendar. And he appears on all of the Zoom links and all of the Google Hangouts and wherever else he's sent. And then not only does it record the meeting, but it also transcribes it. And in addition to that, you can actually search the transcription for keywords. So if you say, ah, I know they mentioned something about basketball, but what was that? Or metrics, what was that? Or the last PR firm that they worked with, what was the thing they didn't like? Whatever it was, you can go in and search for that phrase, find it, and you can play it straight from there. So it will go straight to the thing in the transcript and then if you hit play, you can hear the audio of exactly what that thing was that you talked about. I am over the moon about this, mostly because I'm on Zoom calls all day long. And for me, it's a way of being able to be present. Without having to take notes. Without taking notes. And then I can be thinking about the next question and mm-hmm. listening actively yep. rather than taking notes, listening actively, and trying to figure out what I'm going to say next. Yep which usually just ends up you drop some ball. And usually what happens is you don't ask a good question next because you're right. too busy sprawling. Right, so and then you can't me, read your notes later anyway. No, and then you have to type them up and then you share them with everyone. So what I do instead is after a successful new business call that turns into a client, I just send the recording to the team. It's a great way for handing them you know, direct from the horse's mouth, as they say, you know, here's what was discussed and it's not, my hand scrawled notes 
as I best remember them, then converted into something that I Slack or email them. So it's yeah. a, they get the full the full picture with the client's tone of voice and if they want to listen to audio and and vibe and all of that. So I I'm a big fan. I will tell you every time I get on a call, people ask me what in the hell Fireflies is, and then I tell them, and then they say I have to get Fireflies, and then they usually do. <laughs> I use Otter. How is it different? Is it exactly I don't know that it is different. I think it's the same. There probably are differences, but I'm not you a power. You can do all the same thing. You can go I believe so, yeah. Search for terms. You can. So, yes, I think it's, you know, if not identical, very similar. It is something that is going to be growing. And I can only imagine what these types of services will become. In fact, I can't imagine what they will become, but I assume that they will become even more prevalent and build in bits and pieces that my mind doesn't even conceive of yet that will facilitate ease in business. My only pro tip for people using Fireflies is to change it so that it only defaults to sending you the recording because two reasons. One is that you may end up saying something before people get on, forgetting that Fireflies is on. Mm -hmm. That's too personal, just something that you don't want to share with the group. And that's going to be in the recording. And we did, yeah, we had a horror story about this. So, <laughs> so the other thing is, if you had a standing meeting and it's still on someone's calendar linked to that Zoom link and you have a meeting, it will still send their fireflies to that same link. And if you let it in, they will have a recording of the meeting, even though they weren't at the meeting. Oh, wow. You have to pay attention. Be very careful that you don't have a firefly show up that wasn't intended to be there and just assume wrongly it's your fireflies rather than that it's this other person's yeah it was automatically sent so for that reason it's best to and this is for people who are not following that you can sync fireflies with your zoom calendar so that it automatically joins or that you it comes and you can let it in so that it's recording all of your meetings if you want it to yes my only caveats are just to make sure that you change the default settings so it doesn't send it to everyone Mm -hmm. because that's the default setting. That way you have control over it. If you realize, ooh, in hindsight, we had a pretty personal chat at the end or the beginning. Also, in general, I think just good training not to have any personal conversations that are recorded. So just be careful about that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is watch that the fireflies you're letting in belongs to somebody in the meeting and not somebody that has was once invited to one of your meetings three months ago that has yes. nothing to do with you anymore yes. for whatever reason. Yeah. Yes. All right. Thank you for tuning in for the Pierre Windown podcast. And thanks to Steve for a very enlightening interview. Remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and to share a show with your friends and colleagues. And if you subscribe and leave us a rating, it will help us reach new listeners like you. And if you have an anonymous PR horror story of your own, please send it our way at the contact email below the episode notes. We can't wait to wind down with you again next time. I'm looking at the cat in the mirror. (laughs) I'm asking him to change his paws. I don't even know the words. If you want to make a cat, 
Okay.